Hello, everyone, and good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. And a warm welcome to everybody. This is the OMC's regular Wednesday evening session, and today we have the third session in the series that Mark Williams is presenting for us called Mindfulness Frame by Frame. So I think that's everything I am meant to say at the beginning, and I'll hand over to Mark now. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. So let's do just a couple of minutes of practice to settle and ground ourselves. So noticing your posture and the feet on the floor. In contact with whatever you're sitting on. and the hands on the lap, maybe. These three places where we can feel gravity, the sense of contact. And then if you choose coming to the breath, and noticing perhaps one place where you feel the breath moving right now. And if your mind is very restless or bombarded by thoughts or emotions, see if it's possible to to take a pause, to bring some sense of friendship to the mind. And then very slowly coming back to where you had intended your mind to be. No rush. And then at a certain point, moving fingers and toes, letting the eyes open if they've been closed, and taking in the room again. So let's start with our recap and review of last week. The theme was, when thoughts and distractions arise in formal practice, to take a pause, rather like the one we've just done, and then to turn towards the thoughts, and instead of seeing them as an enemy we need to get rid of, to see them as an opportunity to train the mind, just like gym equipment trains the body. This change in view can already make a big difference. It changes our perspective of the practice from something we are failing at to something we are training with. We are learning to decenter, to acknowledge and befriend the mind before shepherding it back to where we had intended it to be. We also explored the possibility of using the mind wandering to practice cultivating gratitude or even wonder for the mind, 
if you had a chance to practice this during the week, you may have found that it changed how you feel about your mind. But it can be really hard. Someone last week mentioned ongoing pain or illness. Surely it's reasonable to want to get rid of these things. Yes, of course, who wouldn't? And someone else mentioned toxic thoughts, memories, regrets. And it's true that we carry huge burdens, memories of what we have done to others or what they have done to us. How can we thank and celebrate the mind when it constantly interrupts our peace with reminders of these? Is not this too hard a practice? It's important to remind ourselves about the importance of looking after ourselves at times like this. We don't need to do it all at once. Think of the gym again. Even if the gymnasium has all we need to train, it's not useful to go to the largest weights on the first week and say, oh, I've seen people do this on the television. How hard can it be? I'll try and lift that one. So in our practice, we don't need to do it all at once either. Psychologist and meditation teacher Willoughby Britton distinguishes between willingness and capacity. Sometimes when something difficult or painful arises in body or mind, we ask ourselves, are we willing to allow it to be center stage right now and to work with it? But then, even if we are willing to work with it, we may not have the capacity, the energy right now. If we're too tired or upset, it's fine to leave it for now until there's a time when we feel better able to practice. And if we don't want to leave it completely, we can always choose how close we want to be to it and how long we want to spend with it and knowing all the time where our anchors are. The ones we've mentioned, feet, seat, hands, breath, but other anchors too, people have asked about. Yes, whatever is an anchor that works for you, go for that. And with these safeguards in place, we can come back now to whether it's even possible to be kind or grateful to the mind or body that is in pain. When we have a difficulty, what's really hard is that even if the processes of the mind themselves are doing the best they can, the content of what the mind is bringing up can be really hard to bear, can be overwhelming. And the reason for going slowly and being cautious is that if you are tired and upset right now, this might not be the time to retrieve the hardest memories. And this is because if any of us are feeling sad or hopeless or deeply anxious right now in this moment, the memory we bring up can acquire extra layers from the current emotion. And that's because whenever we retrieve an item from memory, it is re-encoded. It's affected by the context now, as well as the elements that were already in the memory. But this re-encoding means that what is in effect put back in the memory store is different from what you took out. The research on eyewitness testimony illustrates this very well. Participants in those experiments all see Let's take the example of a video of a small traffic accident. And some participants are asked, about how fast were the cars going when they hit? But others were asked, 
about how fast were the cars going when they bumped, and others, how fast were the cars going when they smashed. The words used made a difference. Even though they'd all seen the same videos, all stored in the same way in their memory, if the word smashed had been used to the participants later, they remembered the cars as going faster compared to the milder words. And a week later, if the word smashed had been used in the question, participants were more likely to see broken glass in their mind's eye, even though there was no broken glass in the film they'd seen a week before. We see what's happened here. The language used at the time of retrieval, that context has affected the memory itself. And a similar thing can happen when we are being witnesses to our own lives, retrieving events and thinking about them now. Because if you're sad or angry for some other reason, and then you recall or think about a difficult thing, these feelings now can stick to the memory or be even integrated into it. Now you might think, why on earth should memory be susceptible to such influences? Why should memory be able to get worse and worse in the retelling? Because the same feature of memory has important benefits too. If you are a teacher preparing your students for an exam, you want them to remember sometimes what you taught them perhaps a long time ago, earlier in the year. And maybe you give them small exercises and tests during the year. And that's not only so they can get a chance to rehearse what they already know, but also because as they learn more about the subject, they can put the older material into a wider context and that older material changes. And there's an even more important benefit, of course, of changes in memory. Think of a time when you told a good friend about something difficult that had happened or was happening at the time, and they listened without judgment. Did you notice then how bringing up the memory in that loving context altered the memory in some way, but now in a good way, perhaps putting it in a new context, allowing you to see new perspectives? Now, mindfulness can, and for many people, does provide this different, more loving context. But it's still good to ask, is this the time? Am I willing to work with this? And do I have the capacity right now? So seeing what comes up, as we said last week, like gymnasium equipment, some of which might be too difficult right now, this is helping us incline the heart towards being friendly towards the mind that's doing the best it can. We incline the heart towards being grateful or even awe because mostly we are inclined the other way towards judgment and self-criticism and self-denigration. Even when we find ourselves in distress, we put pressure on ourselves. It's a very old habit to try and pull ourselves together by criticizing ourselves, telling ourselves we're weak or a failure or that should, we'd be better if we get out or we should be just able to cope. What's wrong with you? It's as if we're always on trial, as if we had a judge in our head. But have you noticed how the judge in your head never finds you innocent? A real judge would have been dismissed by now if they found everyone guilty every time. 
So when the critical and judgmental voice starts up in your head, you may find it helpful to imagine and say to yourself, what, who, what else is here? Who else is here? As if you were chairing a committee meeting and this one member of your committee is always very negative and dominant, always the one to speak first, but you're in the chair. So as chair, you have the authority to say firmly, thank you for your thoughts. Now, does anyone else wish to speak? And then in the silence that follows, you may hear another quieter voice, the quiet voice of the heart. And when it comes, you'll recognize it. Let's take a breathing space. And feel free if you like to stand at this point or stretch, whatever your body needs right now. And the first step of the breathing space is acknowledging how things are for you, noticing your posture and noticing what's going on in body and mind. Seeing if it's possible to acknowledge it and to allow it to be just as you find it whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And then step two of the breathing space. gathering the attention and placing it on one place that anchors you right now, on the breath maybe, or choosing an anchor for your attention. And if the mind wanders, a pause, a thanks, and a slow return. And then the third step of the breathing space. Widening the attention to the whole body sitting here.
sense of spaciousness of the body, cradled in awareness. And beginning to move fingers and toes and letting the eyes open if they've been closed. The theme for this week, week three, is discovering the feel of things. The feeling tone. All the things we've been discussing Difficult things that can afflict body or mind have one thing in common. They feel unpleasant. Not only that, but they obscure our view of other things that may be going on around us. And this week we'll be exploring frame by frame the sense of pleasantness and unpleasantness that arises alongside any sensation or thought or feeling, motion or impulse. So whenever anything arises in mind or body, we'll be training ourselves to catch the moment, to see if you can spot the very first inkling of a feeling, not a feeling in the sense of a fully grown emotion, such as sadness or excitement, worry or relaxation, but the simpler sense of positivity or negativity of a moment. This simple sense of pleasantness of experience is called the feeling tone, or more simply, the feel of an experience. What a sensation or a thought feels like in a moment. It may be clear and obvious when it's very pleasant or very unpleasant, but just as often the feeling tone is more subtle. But it's always here. Just like an old fashioned mercury thermometer is consistently registering temperature, or a barometer is registering air pressure, and they do so whether you look at them or not. Everything that passes through mind and body has a feeling tone, whether we notice it or not. With practice, each tiny moment of thought or sensation can be discovered to be pleasant, unpleasant, or neither one or the other. Why is this important? Because as we hinted in week one, our conscious experience is created by a series of mental models constructed moment by moment to predict and interpret the world and to simulate what action might be needed. But these models are coloured by feeling tone. In fact, the positive or negative gut feeling of a moment may well be at or near the very source of model construction. It certainly is one of the oldest evolutionary requirements for life. Even a single-celled creature needs to be sensitive to nourishment and toxicity and to move towards the one and away from the other. So over a whole lifetime, we experience millions of pleasant and unpleasant moments. And these can become associated with each other, thing, with, with other things to which they don't belong. So we become conditioned in ways we sometimes recognize and sometimes don't. And some of this conditioning gets established over time, other conditioning naturally fades. 
and we don't need to track back to analyze where our conditioning has come from. The only power the past holds over us is the power it has to affect how we react now in this moment. And how we react now is determined by the feeling tone, the sense of pleasant, unpleasant or neither. All our conditioning, both long-term and short-term, is revealed within the fleeting feeling that arises when a sensation or thought, emotion or impulse makes contact with the mind. And this is the moment when our conditioning from the past can affect the future, or where we have some choice if we are able to bring awareness to that moment. Things that have a pleasant feeling tone tend to lead in the very next moment to a wish that that sensation or thought or feeling will stay for longer. If it doesn't, we get frustrated. Conversely, things with unpleasant feeling tones tend to produce a reaction of aversion, pushing away, resistance, wanting it to stop. Notice that these reactions of aversion too have their own feeling tone and you see how the cascade can continue. Moments of contact that are neither pleasant nor unpleasant tend to be followed by a tuning out or a boredom, followed by a search for more stimulation. If we're not aware of these, the feeling tone will be automatically stored in the mental model which affects how the next moment is interpreted and actions decided. So by bringing awareness to the felt sense of pleasant and unpleasant, we are putting a little space between something that might normally act as a trigger for us, a space between that and the usual cascade of reactions that might often occur, be they cascades of worry or sadness or anger. Mindful awareness of tonality helps dissolve the conditioning, making us less reactive and giving us more freedom and more choice. We mentioned Joseph Goldstein in, in week one, he said that mindfulness of feeling tone is one of the master keys that both reveals and unlocks the deepest patterns of our conditioning. And it's time this week to see if it's possible to become more aware of just those moments. So this week, we're learning to bring your attention upstream to the very moment something arises in your consciousness. And you may have practiced this a little bit in the past week if you found the time to tune in each day to different senses, taste, sound, smell, touch and sight. But in our formal practice in a while, we'll start with sensations in the body, whether from inside the body, a sensation, or from outside, a sound. And then we'll move to detecting the feeling tone that arises when a thought or emotion arises in the mind. You'll learn how to register whether the contact is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. This can be hard at first, but it gets easier. It might help to remember that in noting feeling tone, we're not making a cognitive judgment. The pleasantness, unpleasantness strikes us as immediately pleasant or unpleasant, a sort of taste of something or a gut feeling. So there's no need for thinking to get involved. If it helps, pretend you're a single-celled creature tuning into the subtle sense of pleasant and unpleasant inside and around you. It's a sense rather than a judgment. So before we start, just to illustrate this sense of immediate, the immediacy of it, I want to just give you some little phrases 
and I want you to see if you notice whether the sense of them is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. Here's the first. A smiling baby. Here's the next. The smell of a drain. Next. A second-hand bookshop. Next. Sunshine after rain. Next. A pile of dirty pans in the sink. And the last. The smell of freshly baked bread. Could you do it? Was there anything to do at all? Did you find that it was sort of like obvious? You don't need how, you don't need to know how you know. You just know somehow there's a readout on the dial somewhere, somewhere on this dimension from pleasant to unpleasant, somewhere in the body and mind, a gut feeling may be, it doesn't matter how. Some people prefer not to use words, but to think of like thumbs up or thumbs down, uh, or a dial flickering from left to right, or from red to green. Some prefer to make a sound inwardly, ah, oh, or ugh. And we can't take for granted whether a thing will seem pleasant or unpleasant to us in any moment. So we have to sense each one anew. I mean, if you find yourself thinking about an upcoming holiday, it might be, oh yes, pleasant. If a noisy truck drives past outside, or if you feel a pain in your back, you may register unpleasant. But think about other things. Think about your favorite dessert. If you're very hungry, you might find it really pleasant to contemplate. But you might remember a time when somebody offered you your favorite dessert when you were already full up. You thought the meal was over and you couldn't eat another thing. Then what did you think of your favorite dessert at that time? Even the thought of eating it might have been, oh, no, thank you, no, thank you. A sense of pushing away, perhaps. Now, in between pleasant and unpleasant and is taking it for granted or not taking it for granted, if we're unsure that something is pleasant or unpleasant, then don't worry, just let it go and wait for another thing to, to turn up. It may be a bit of both or pretty neutral. There's no need to think too hard about it. Sometimes there seems to be no feeling tone at all. This is fine. There's no need to, to sense something every time, every moment. This is a practice in just beginning to turn towards the moment of contact and whether it's pleasant, unpleasant or neither. So let's do this formal practice of feeling tone. So coming to sit. Letting the eyes close if that feels comfortable. Or lowering your gaze. And spending a few moments now choosing where your anchor will be for this practice. Perhaps visiting possible anchors in turn for two or three breaths feet, 
contact with seat, hands and the breath. Just visit. And when you've made that choice, just abiding in this one place and receiving the sensations from this place. And then at a certain point, expanding your awareness to the body as a whole sitting here. And as you do so, you may notice some sensations being more prominent than others. Maybe the contact of what you're sitting on feet on the floor, or other sensations as well. And whatever seems most prominent, noticing whether it has a feeling tone. Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, somewhere in between? There may be sensations on the surface of the skin, the air moving over your hands or cheeks, or the contact with clothes. If you are aware of these sensations, are they pleasant or unpleasant or neither? Not thinking too much about this. If it's difficult to read, just letting it go and waiting for another sensation to arrive.
sensations inside the body too. The legs, the trunk, hands and arms. shoulders and head, noticing if some sensations change as you are aware of them, and if the sensation Changes, does the feeling tone change too? There's no right or wrong here. Just noticing. Moving in close. And then at a certain point, extending and expanding the awareness further to the sounds around you. Of course, there may be sounds from inside the body, but also sounds from the room or the place you're in or from outside the building. And whenever any sound is heard, it makes contact. There's this sense once again, ah, contact, pleasant, or ah, contact, unpleasant, or contact, neutral. Once again, noticing that the feeling to may be very subtle, maybe hard to register at all, or certainly not to say whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And that's often because there's a lot of neutral, but also because many things are subtle. And if it's taking time to decide, then letting it go, waiting for something else.
Sometimes when we're doing this, we may get the thought, oh, I'm no good at this. This is too hard for me. That thought comes up and that thought might also have a feeling tone. Noticing the feeling tone of those sort of thoughts. And then coming back to sounds as best we can. And now, letting go of sounds and allowing your awareness to be the awareness of thinking itself. So now really turning our attention to any thoughts that come up and any emotions or feelings that come with the thoughts or by themselves. And it's sometimes quite helpful to, to do this by returning to the body as a whole. So keeping the body as a whole in the background and then seeing what thoughts and feelings might come up into the foreground, as if we were sitting by a stream and watching the thoughts float past on the stream or looking up at the sky and watching the clouds. So we're noticing thoughts and if any thought or any emotion no matter how fleeting comes up, then just as we did with the body and with sounds, just registering its feeling tone. Ah, contact, pleasant. Contact, unpleasant. Contact, neutral. Or just simply pleasant, unpleasant and neutral if you prefer. Whatever word or sound inwardly or dial, whatever works for you in giving you this sense, this awareness of the sense of the pleasantness of things, thoughts and feelings. Remembering that if anything is overwhelming at any time, it's perfectly fine to come back to your anchors or even to open your eyes and look around the room. No need to grit your teeth and carry on through anything. Then if you wish to come back, that's fine. And if it's not easy for you, then that's fine too. Looking after yourself. Always looking after yourself.
And then in the last few moments of the practice, coming back to your anchors anyway, your anchor, whatever it you chose it to be, back to your anchor and allowing the sensations to be felt. And remembering that if you choose to do this practice during the week, either formally or during the day, then this sense of becoming more aware of the feeling tone can help to allow you to be less reactive, to have more choice. And in this way, to give you a sense of being more in control of your life, even in the midst of the difficulties that may be afflicting you and those with whom you share your life. Thank you. And I'm now going to hand back to Ruth, who's going to chair the Q&A session. Great, thank you, Mark. A really interesting session. And we've been getting some interesting questions. They are on several topics. So I think it might be good to start with the topic of feeling tone. And there are several questions about that. So here's one. Does a negative feeling tone lead to a negative emotion? And is the idea here to recognize a negative feeling tone and then not let it become a negative emotion? Okay, so uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a negative emotion. Um, so, uh, but it often is. So for example, there's a quite close tie up between um, feeling an unpleasant feeling in the body or thinking that sounds unpleasant and so on and a slight feeling of resistance a slight feeling of not liking and that not liking can pervade and can color the next moment so whatever emotions are available at that moment it tends to go on a slightly downward trajectory and it can color your own mood and also the danger is that you start sharing the mood around as well so other people can tell um, but the moment that, but the, it's very, it can be very transitory and, and that it flickers around. So since that every single moment is either pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, uh, there's a sort of flicker around. And it's if there's a sort of run of these unpleasant moments or um, uh, one that is slightly more intense, then that's more likely to create a negative emotion. And now the idea is, yes, we're putting a gap um, Marshall Linnan used to say, putting more synapses between impulse and action. And there's a sort of sense of putting more gaps between that moment where you just experience something as unpleasant, and then the moment when it cascades into uh, negative emotions. And that's, that's the aim of this. If one, if one brings it into awareness, 
because that normally it's automatic that link but as with all things if you can bring it into awareness it's take it from automatic into more intentional and then you have the choice yeah great thank you um, another thing that's come up a couple of times here, quite interesting, um, is, and you said a bit about it, but I think it might be good to elaborate a bit more, is that there's this important distinction, I think, if I understand correctly, between identifying or recognizing something as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and making a judgment. It seems that there's a tendency to conflate just noting, ah, that's pleasant, ah, that's unpleasant. Some people are thinking that is making judgments and aren't we encouraged in mindfulness not to make judgments? So okay. perhaps you could speak to that distinction. Okay, so we are encouraged not to make judgments in the sense that harsh self-critical judgments that's always gonna find us guilty, but we're not stopped from making discernment. Mm. There's a difference between judgment and discernment. And um, it can feel like this is a judgment if it becomes cognitive. So if, it, but um, you know, if somebody throws a ball to you, as soon as you catch it, you know whether it's hard or soft. Now, have you made a judgment there? It comes with the territory of the sensation. It's automatically, it's already, it's already hard or soft. Or if you take milk from the fridge and you taste it and it's sour, you know instantly, you don't think, hmm. Well, I, I suppose if it's just turning, you might think, ooh, but basically you still address the taste of the milk, not your cognitive judgment about it. So having said that, it really is hard to make the distinction. And many people, in fact, the predominant thing that happens when we start this practice is people report that it takes them into their head. So don't worry, uh, if you'd keep just gently persisting and then be like that single-celled creature, as it were, that just notices the slightly nourishing versus slightly toxic environment. It's a gut feeling. Um, and you don't even need to know how you know. It's just like catching the ball or tasting that milk. It's, it's, it's really immediate, but it takes some time to develop that immediacy. So don't worry about it, but keep at it. Great, thank you, Mark, really interesting. Um, another question that's come up is that pleasant, unpleasant and neutral sort of sound like categories. So are there shades of gray? Is it really a continuum? And is it important to do some sort of a rating to, to use a scale, perhaps numbers when you're noticing if things are pleasant, unpleasant or neutral? It is a scale and it's perfectly fine to use numbers so long as you don't get hooked on, is it five and a half or is six and three quarter? Um, so yeah, we'll be coming more to this next week, but it's best probably to see it as scale. I mean, often people see it as like a dial, like a, a dial that red on one side or green on the other. You know, those old weighing scales you get in, in Borough Market where people put the potatoes on and the scale goes down. If you imagine it like that sort of scale um, and it's, it's, it can go very heavily, say minus 10 or stay in the middle much of the time and then up to plus 10 and um, just to, uh, uh, predict what we're going to be saying when we next meet, um, then very often people, as Martine Batchelor has, has, has pointed out, we see a minus one, but we don't see the plus ones. We don't see the positive until we get to plus five or more. Um, whereas we're quite sensitive for the negative, um, but we're not so sensitive for the positive. And, and we'll be working during this course on restoring that balance a bit, but yeah, Good question. And yes, it's a sort of spectrum. 
Okay. Um, now, combining today's topic of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral with some of previous topics about accepting things as they are, we've had a couple of people talking about how, of course, it is much more difficult to accept or to bring this sort of awe and wonder attitude that you talked about last time to the more difficult, painful, challenging thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And that's a, it's an ongoing theme. Um, uh, what I invite people to do is to not try to bring awe and wonder to things that are too difficult. So that was the question about Willoughby Britain's willingness and capacity, mm -hmm. that actually start with the smaller things um, where you may be aware that something's a little difficult, a little bit difficult, um, but you can see the way in which even though your mind is bringing you hard stuff, it's, it's doing so because it isn't finished business yet. And the mind needs to bring you unfinished business. Yeah, um, because if it didn't, you wouldn't know where you would be. You wouldn't know where you are. You wouldn't know where you were in a sentence. You wouldn't know where you were at home. You wouldn't know how to get to the shops. You need to know because unfinished business, the other word for it is, is your current context. So um, now, if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel right, you right now to bring all and one to the mind, then just let it, let it go, let it go. For some people, it's a, it's a game changer. If it's not for you, then don't worry. Um, you might want to bring a bit of kindness and compassion to the mind, or be like the chairperson of that committee saying thank you, but not thank you in the sense of oh, I'm very grateful you're here, but thank you, I've heard enough. Now let's hear somebody else speak. It's still a sort of thank you, and remember we're inclining the mind and heart towards thanking, towards kindness. It doesn't have to feel good. It's a sort of practice. We're, we're practicing thanking the mind for its work because most of the time, it will be very obvious to us that it does a sterling job. Um, what it's digesting is sometimes very painful. But just like the digestive system might be working really well in your body, but you wouldn't want to see the contents of it. Yeah. So somehow we have this mind that's churning things over. We have the unfortunate thing in sense we're aware of the contents of what's churning over in the mind. And we don't like it that much. But the, it's doing the job of sifting and planning and, and looking out for us and, and, and for, it's, it's, it's then for our safety. As, as, as David Trelevan says, it's like that, that fist that contracts for our own safety around something we don't like, then it's painful. Mm -hmm. And if we try to force it open, then it's, it's just going to create more chaos. If we try and surround it and cradle it, then it can go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. I think we might have time for one more. And here's an interesting one. You're sort of getting to this already, I think. Um, do all cultures have a judge in the head? And why has it evolved? If so? Well, okay, I think it's partly about safety. Um, uh, um, I think there are some cultures that don't recognize such self-critical. I mean, the story is that when the Tibetans um, came west, they were really totally surprised about how many people were in low self-esteem states. Yeah. They don't recognize that sense of self-attacking thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something distinctive in certain cultures about that. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm not an anthropologist, so I can't speak with authority about it. Those are just the stories that are told by the Tibetans uh, when they came. And, um, and I think 
it is, it's, it's mostly about safety. I mean, obviously some of us have maybe had very abusive carers, parents, teachers, you know, older brothers or sisters, but even those of us with loving parents recognize the shout of the parent when we step off the curb, mm-hmm. which when we were a child, which sounds to all the world as if they're really angry with us, mm-hmm. but actually they're terrified. We're just about to get knocked over. Mm-hmm. And how much that sense of fear-based shouting, as it were, then gets incorporated. So we have this fear-based shouting going on saying, for God's sake, don't step off the curb. Mm-hmm. But then it does it for all our life. Mm-hmm. And that can be really hard. Yes, great. Thank you, Mark. Um, We have come to the point where it might be good to think about if there are any suggestions for home practice for the coming week. Okay, so if you want to incorporate this into your practice or do this distinctive practice, then then do what we did and uh, settle into your anchors, then open to the body and then notice the sensations of pleasant or unpleasant in the body and then sounds and then thoughts and emotions or just incorporate this into your practice that you're doing anyway. So whatever you're doing in practice, maybe just notice whatever your practice is, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, uh, the sensations that come up. Um, Or, and then maybe you want to add an end of day practice where near the end of each day, you could set some time aside to allow the things that have happened that day to come into your mind and notice the feeling tone of each event as you think of it now. Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant? and notice all those routine activities, you know, a conversation with someone, the moment after switching off the TV or after an email, pausing, return to the body, what's the feeling tone? So an end of day practice in which you review the day and say, oh, that event, was that pleasant or unpleasant? Was that event pleasant or unpleasant? So a couple of things to try um, over the next few days and weeks. All right, great. Thank you, Mark. Um, we're just about to the end of our time. So a few things to say here at the end. We hope you've enjoyed the session and thank you for coming. Remember that the link for the recording of today will be sent out soon and you can also find it on YouTube under Mark Williams Frame by Frame. Next week we're having a keynote. It's um, for those of you who've been coming for some time, you know we do a keynote once a month and next time is our monthly keynote and it's going to be Trudy Goodman and Jack Cornfield. So that should be very special. We hope you'll come back for that. Um, And now we're going to open up the chat again, and everybody is welcome to say goodbye in the chat. You can use whatever language you prefer to use. So um, goodbye to everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye from me too. Thank you.